the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the show. Welcome to a new week. Welcome to a new month. It is already June. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand On for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your Bible questions, life questions, anything and everything that's on your heart and mind. All you have to do is provide the phone call, 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by mailing questions at calvarysa.com, or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And remember, if you're driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the hands-free feature of your phone and the KSLR mobile app, which is also free. Uh, Push the call now banner at the top of the screen and you'll be connected directly to our studio producer. I've already got a call waiting, so if you'll be patient just for another minute, I want to take a moment to thank God. Yesterday was our 26th birthday as a church. May 31st, 1995 was the very first meeting we had at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, and oh, how those years have gone flying by. In fact, I want to give another shout-out to little Mary, Mary Rivera. Um, Mary is today 42 years of age. I first met Mary when she was 16 years old. That's how long she's been with the church, and she has been employed with us now for almost all of those years. But um, happy birthday, Mary. Happy birthday, Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. And I pray that you all had a really, really great Memorial Day holiday uh, and that church for you last Sunday was great. Okay, now let me get to phone calls. We've got on the phone um, Ron from Converse on line one. Ron, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hello, Pastor Ron. Hi. Hello, and congratulations to you and all your staff and Mama Paula for 26 years of, of giving your heart uh, according to the will of Christ and, and, and uh, imparting it to our hearts, and it's really special, and I cannot wait. I've told my daughter about you. I can't wait uh, to take her to Calvary and, and meet you all. It's just going to be a very special moment. Thank you, Ron. <laughs> you know, and you can tell her, pa- Paula hasn't changed a bit in 26 years. Not. He's exactly <laughs> as he's always be that little girl. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. God, God, God brought to us all and to you. Yeah. So, well, I, I have something that's not really bothering me, or 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 um, I'm not in a quandary. I know that our Father is the chief cornerstone that we have not rejected. That maybe possibly the masses have, but I know that we haven't. You certainly haven't. Uh, we know that the precepts that were laid out to us, one of the chief precepts, of course, about, you know, forgiveness. Now, um, I just wanted to hear from your perspective, because I know that um, God knew that this he's omniscient, uh, omnipresent, and uh, just 
um, everything that we're not that we someday um, when we move into the into the light of God we'll, we'll we will have that understanding and we'll have bodies like even Christ but until then I know that the concept of forgiveness was was given to us that we need to love our enemy now how do you feel um, unfortunately just last week there was a a young lady that was walking of course we don't know her name but she was on the uh, walking on North Zamora and Calabra. I don't know what it was on the news. She was approached by two men in a vehicle, and they wanted her to do what they wanted her to do. She rejected them. Uh, she mm-hmm. tried to get away from them. They sped up to her. Did you hear about that one? She um, unfortunately took the knife wound. Oh, no, I, I didn't hear about um, that one. It was terrible. It happened right here in San Antonio, and it just mm-hmm. tore at your heart. And um, automatically, it reminded me of this the concept that God gave us to love your enemy. Now, given the, our vulnerable natures and our own human nature, of course, God gave us the, the, the Holy Spirit to overcome our spirit. Um, that's not always on demand. Uh, we work towards that and for that, and we live to, for that one of the, that precept of forgiveness. How do you think, uh, how should we handle that? I, and I know that I, I have my own understanding of precepts, precepts that God has given us to the scriptures. Now, but when it comes to two men like this that plunge a knife into a woman's abdomen because they were demanding sex, she tries to get away from them, she runs from them, they catch up to her. You know what kind of feelings that will elicit in even a Christian. Um, how do we, um, how how do we handle those those moments, those yeah. those feelings that come over us? Because you know what any man would feel with a wife, a daughter, a sister, a mother, um, knowing what this poor woman went through just because she's walking early in the morning. And uh, I I just want you to help rationalize this and, and bring a perspective from from yeah. your perspective. I'll, I'll do my I'll do my best, Ron. Thank you for the call. I appreciate it very, very much. A couple of things, uh, just for the audience. Ron misspoke. He said the Father is our cornerstone, and of course Jesus is the cornerstone. Um, but but he, Ron knows that. Yeah, Ron knows that. I just wanted to be sure that nobody um, caught the mis who who caught the misspeaking uh, would would be confused. Um, Ron, a couple of things. Um, you, you know, I want to go back some years, many years ago. Now we had a. Um, a horrible murder take place in our church. It was on the news uh, for a week, and then a year later when the trial was coming up, uh, it was big news, front-page news all over again. Uh, the media was in our church doing interviews. They were they were uh, filming uh, not only her funeral service, uh, but they would be back in our church uh, on separate occasions just to see how we're doing. And and you know the emotions that go through somebody when you're facing something like that are all over the place. We're humans; we have to remember that, and we are not fully sanctified yet. Um, and so, when we start talking about forgiving and and how do we deal with those things, I think there's a couple of things we need to remember. First of all, that that God wants us to forgive, but God also is a God of justice. And, and we have to advocate for victims. I think that's really important. You know, I, I think we can do both things. We can pray that justice will be done. Uh, the, 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 the young man that killed uh, our, the, the, the beautiful young woman in our church was 18 years of age. And we prayed for him to get saved. Uh, to our knowledge, that hasn't happened. He is not out of prison yet, but to our knowledge, uh, he hasn't been saved. But 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 for a long, long time, he had a lot of people praying for him. So I think that we've got to find the balance between wanting to forgive people and dealing with the outrage that violence of this nature causes. And we've got to be able to say, Lord, uh, you love this man. I, you know, I don't have the capacity to love him, but you do. So bring him to his knees. Bring him to faith. Uh, all the while... Um, being honest with God about our feelings, without our emotions. Forgiveness is is interesting because we think of forgiveness as though 
um, okay, well, I, I'm going to forgive him. We have no more um, ill feelings toward the person. Um, forgiveness, all we can do, Ron, is offer forgiveness. And as we offer forgiveness to people, um, um, they still have to accept it. They still have to receive it. And there can't be reconciliation. There can be there can be the the offer of forgiveness, even even praying, Lord, give me a forgiving heart and bring this person to faith in Christ. Uh, but but there's no actual or practical forgiveness until the the perpetrator uh, asks for it. And then, of course, we've got to be willing to forgive uh, because God, who loves that person, has been answered, answering our prayers. So I think, I think when we understand the tension between those two things, our responsibility is to pray and to be willing to offer forgiveness. Now, in a case like you presented, where this terrible, terrible crime has outraged um, anybody who has a heart for the Lord— um, we have to understand that God's heart is outraged too. His heart is broken. And his heart is for the victim and for the victim's family. Um, and justice will be done. Um, you know, there's just there's just no way we're going to just forget that, that this terrible thing was done and we're going to have, have, have mushy feelings for this person. But that's the power of prayer. We pray, Ron, and God will eventually change our hearts. And I think for you and for me, people like us, I think we know that we've had victory over unforgiveness when we find ourselves praying for somebody. And, and no matter what they've done, no matter how terrible it is, um, we have a realization that, you know what, God, you really love this person and I want him or her in heaven. I think that's when we've accomplished what God has asked us to accomplish. So really important, I think, forgiveness for Christians is assumed. And um, I think when we, we understand that, um, the willingness to forgive Ron is really what matters. Appreciate it, Ron. God bless you. And I look forward to meeting you in person and your friend as well. Three four zero ninety five eighty five for your live calls and questions. Um, here's a called-in question anonymously that just came to the studio. He said, can you find 30 days between the rapture and the second coming in Daniel chapter 12, verses 5 through 12? Uh, anonymous, no, I, I don't know where you're getting that. There's no 30 days between the rapture of the church and the second coming. The 30 days, or I'm sorry, the, the time between the rapture and the second coming is going to be seven years. And in Daniel chapter 12, what Daniel is doing, and by the way, I'm going to be teaching on Daniel. I've got uh, 47, 48, 49, 50. I've got four more chapters to do in in uh, Genesis, and then I'm going to be teaching Daniel on Wednesday nights. Um, but uh, Daniel chapter 12 is talking about the, the history, especially in the last chapters. It's, it's, it's about the long-time future of the world. And um, uh, so, I, I, again, I'm, if you could maybe call in again and be a little more specific because there's um, nowhere is there 30 days between the rapture and the second coming in Daniel chapter 12. So I hope that uh, helps a little bit, but um, maybe with a little more clarity, I can be a little more help. Thank you for the question. Here's a radio question that was called into our church today anonymously. Um, a gentleman who says, um, how do I quit smoking? It is from Anonymous in Seguin. Uh, I'm going to give you kind of a long answer here, Anonymous, because I don't want you to think that I'm being naive here. Um, the the answer to how you quit smoking, I assume that it's God who has been convicting you about smoking. Now, I want to be clear, smoking is not a sin. It's terrible for you. It's a filthy, nasty habit. Uh, it's expensive, all those terrible things, but it's not a sin. It's legal. You're not violating the law, so don't let anybody put sort of a legalistic trip on you. Now, Romans 14.23 says that anything not of faith is sin. And clearly, because the Holy Spirit has been working on your heart in regard to this, this has now become sin for you. Not for other people necessarily, but it's become sin for you. 
So the way you do it is simple. And I'm going to equate this to my weight loss um, now uh, almost 30 years ago when I got saved. Uh, I was obese and I had a problem. I ate terribly unhealthy. I drank um, 40 plus Coca-Colas a day. I, I was pretty sedentary. I wasn't exercising and doing things and I got quite obese. And um, I tried every diet. I tried uh, crash workout courses. I mean, I was going to do anything. Um, but, you know, the more I thought about losing weight, the more weight I gained. Well, smoking is similar in the sense that as addicting as it is, um, this is something that God will give you victory over. Now, here's the key. Instead of thinking about quitting smoking, think about being with Jesus. Every time you have a desire for a cigarette, open your Bible. Every time you have a desire for the cigarette, take a walk with Jesus and, and just talk to him. And it's as simple as this. It's the simplest thing. Lord, right now my body, my flesh wants to smoke. But I don't want to do it. I'd rather hang out with you. Because you want this taken away from me. I want it taken away. And then he's leaving smoking in your life because he wants to teach you that he is more powerful than your flesh is. So that's how you quit. Instead of saying, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke, you you think rather, Jesus, I'm going to be with you. And I think probably, Anonymous, based on the few lines that you wrote to me, I think if you and Jesus were together physically, if you were hanging out with Jesus, just you and him walking down the street, I'm pretty sure you wouldn't light up a cigarette. So just remember that Jesus is with you, and all you got to do is be with him. So that's what you do when you get a temptation to smoke. You simply say, Jesus, I don't want to do this because I want to honor you. You're convicting my heart about this, this smoking, and I want to please you. I don't want to miss out on anything you have for me. So, Lord, when I get tempted, I'm going to open the Bible. When I get tempted, I'm going to walk with you, and we're going to pray. We're going to talk. When I'm tempted, I'm going to surround myself in your presence. And if we would truly do that, then we have the victory over temptation. 1 Corinthians 10.13, anonymous from Seguin. Uh, take the time today to memorize it. No temptation sees you except that which is common to man. That means that, that there's lots and lots of people who have gone through exactly what you're going through. So you're not all alone. They have come through it and had victory over it. And so too can you. And then the next four words in that verse are, Absolutely vital. And God is faithful. It doesn't say that you're faithful. And God is faithful. And then you need to combine it with faith because the next part of that line is he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he will provide a way out so that you can stand. In other words, you can overcome the temptation. So that's what you have to believe. And it's not simply naming and claiming it faith. It's a real faith. It says, okay, Jesus... I'm being tempted. I know you're faithful. Help me get through this. I'm going to talk with you. I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to kind of just be sure that I'm, I'm hanging with you because I want the power of God to have victory in my life over this sin. If I were you, I would throw away every cigarette in my house. I would make a deal with God. Help me not go anywhere where they sell cigarettes. If somebody I see somebody smoke, I'm not going to ask him for a cigarette. And just say, Jesus, I want this for you. Not for me, not for other people. I want this for you. Because I want to bring you glory. And if you'll do that, I lost probably 75 pounds in six months when I stopped thinking about diets, when I stopped thinking about exercising, and I just spent time with Jesus. I promise you, that God wants you to have victory over this. So you can't do it, but what you want to do is let him do it through you. Okay? I hope so. I'll be praying for you, and I hope, against all hope, that this is a victory that you're going to have in the near future. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. Bruce says, Well, I talk about how casually people dress these days for church. I think it's disrespectful. Bruce, I, I disagree with you. 
But I also think that for you, because it's disrespectful to the Lord, you ought to dress up. But you see, I don't think you ought to worry about how everybody else is dressed. I know, Bruce, every Sunday, lots of people spend a lot of time getting their bodies physically ready for church. And some people dress up, some traditions have different standards, different norms. I get that. But do you think, do you think even for a moment that God really cares? Imagine, Bruce, for a moment, and I'm going to just use you as an example, and because I don't know you, I'm, this isn't to be taken personally. But let's say that you spend two hours getting ready for church in the morning, and you look like a million bucks when you leave the house. You feel good, you look good, but what if you haven't spent any time getting your heart ready for church? On the other hand, there's somebody who gets ready for church pretty casually, but before they get dressed and leave the house, they've spent some time with Jesus wanting to be sure that their heart is prepared to hear from you or from him. So, Bruce, you need to look in rather than out and give people the freedom to make choices. I got stopped on the street today by a guy I've known for a long time. I don't see him maybe once every 10 years or something, but he stopped me today. And he was ranting and railing about wearing masks. And, you know, I'm just thinking while I'm talking to him, I'm just thinking, well, if you don't wear a mask, that's okay, but why don't you give those who want to wear a mask the same freedom? Why is it that our heart wants to judge? And so, Bruce, the one thing I want you to do the next time you go to church and you see people dressed really casually, I want you to focus on how much Jesus loves them. That's what I want you to focus on. I want you to think about how much time people rushing out the door getting everybody in the family ready for church, how much time they really spend dressing up on the inside so they're really prepared to hear whatever it is the Holy Spirit wants to say. I think sometimes, Bruce, we walk into a church, we look around, we see things, we see people that irritate us, we hear things that that are a little unsettling. And I don't think we really think about how much God loves them. Our dress code here at Calvary Chapel of San Antonio is simple. We used to have this in writing in our bulletins. We don't anymore. I guess our bulletins are getting pretty full. But it was uh, the dress code at Calvary Chapel is that we are pleased to have you with whatever the Lord provides for you to wear. Now, obviously, we want to be modest in our dressing. You know, I've been to church. In fact, Paul and I, when we go on vacation uh, at the end of this month, uh, we will have church at the beach and there will be people in bathing suits at church. Um, that's okay at the beach. It's not okay in San Antonio, Texas. It would be unsettling if somebody came in a bikini um, to church on a Sunday. And we would probably say something about it. We would be nice and we would be loving, but we would take somebody a coat or a wrap or something and and and, and wrap it around her. If you came, Bruce, in a, 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 a set of uh, swimming trunks and no shirt, uh, we would we would give you something to wear. Um, but I just don't think it really matters to God. He's so concerned with the heart. He doesn't look like man does at the outside. He's looking inside. And I think it's one of those things, Bruce, where you've really got to sort of re-examine your own heart in this issue. How should you dress? Well, if you feel like dressing up, God bless you. If you feel like dressing casually, that's okay too. We have people here at Calvary Chapel who serve two of the three services. They sit in one service to to, to listen, and they serve the other two services. And then some of them are doing manual labor, reassembling the the, the church when it's all over. I, I, I don't necessarily want them dressing up. Our worship team, we have people that dress up, wear slacks and nice shirts. We have other people that will wear jeans. All I care about is the heart with which they worship. And I think, Bruce, that's what matters to Jesus as well. So remember, the unholy spirit looks out. The Holy Spirit looks in. 
If you remember that, every time you're thinking about what somebody else is doing or how somebody else is dressed, the Holy Spirit will remind you, oh yeah, this isn't about them. Jesus loves them. This is about me and my heart. And then just say, Lord, I'm sorry for judging people. Hope that helps, Bruce. Here's a question from Berta. I have an aunt or had an aunt. She's now uh, no longer here. Uh, Oh, you know what? I've got one minute, so I don't have time to answer this question. So I'm going to just sort of wait. Hey, let me share this. Paula meant to share this on Thursday, and she didn't. But um, this coming Monday, uh, a week from yesterday, uh, we begin our Sweet Summer Devotion series for ladies. Uh, It is a a huge ministry here. Uh, The Lord uses Paula, picks the, the women who are going to be sharing and it's always a really really great time so that begins this coming Monday Paula will be speaking on the first night this next Monday and then after that it will be I think nine different women uh, who will be speaking after that and it's always a blessing hey we've got 30 minutes left in the program 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR we'll be back in two minutes Back to the word to stand on for life. We're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. Now, here's Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome back to the second half of our Tuesday show. Hey, I'm all off because of the holiday yesterday, and this doesn't feel like a Tuesday to me. And I meant to say uh, at the top of the show, if you need some relief, if you just want to feel good, um, go to our Friday night service at calvarysa.com and listen to um, the graduates. That's our, our annual graduate night here at Calvary Chapel. They graduate on Thursday. They, they speak to their family members and friends. And then on Friday, we let them address the um, uh, church body. Uh, gives them a chance to say thank you to the church for supporting a free school. And and um, we kind of get a chance to see the, the return on investment. It's always such a blessing. But this year, I got to tell you, it was spectacular. These kids, now young men and women, of course, um, they just blew us away. They were funny. They were engaging. They honored the Lord. They honored their parents. If you just want... 40 minutes of of just having a blast, being edified. Go to calvarysa.com and watch it. You will be blessed out of your socks. I know that I was, and uh, it was wonderful. Uh, just, it was it was a good week. Okay, here is, wait a minute, I think we got a caller. Yes. Got Cindy on line one from San Antonio. Cindy, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Hi, Pastor Ron. How are you? I'm doing well, Cindy. Thank you. I've got something that I've been curious about for several days now. I've been thinking about it, and it's about Mary, uh, the Mary that's Martha's sister and Lazarus' sister, Mm -hmm. about Mm -hmm. when she poured the perfume on Jesus' feet and wiped, wiped it with her hair. Now, I'm curious what her mindset was. Did she understand and know you know, one of the few people that kind of really knew what was going on and that he was going to die? Or could it have been one of those blind faith um, acts of obedience that God was telling her to do something and, and she just did it with with blind faith? I've, I've been thinking about that for several days now and wondering about it. And, um, and I'm really glad that Sunday was Sunday and I got to church because if I hadn't, I think I just <laughs> as to which day of the week it is. Yeah. No. <laughs> Thank you. I'll get Thank off the you, phone Yeah, Mary Bethany is is uh, one of my heroic characters in the New Testament. She's found three times in the New Testament, and all three times she's at the feet of Jesus. That's a good place to be. And Mary, because she was at the feet of Jesus, that's sort of a, a representation of her spiritual posture. Um. 
Mary had insight that even the disciples who had become apostles didn't have. You know, they didn't get it until after the end. Thomas, in fact, until he'd seen Jesus and touched his, his, his scars. But Mary knew, and Jesus said, that she has done a beautiful thing for me. Um, what she's done will be remembered forever. She's preparing my body, we would say, for the funeral. So that's exactly what she was doing. She knew what she was doing. It was purposeful. It was worshipful. It was um, the, 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 the most genuine and sincere act of worship in the middle of sadness and tragedy. And yet she gave everything. The amount of money she spent preparing Jesus' body for his burial. Well, for her, it would have been like a dowry. She was really saying, you're worth more than my future. And so, Cindy, this was a purposeful act. And and every time that we read that passage of Scripture, every time we do a Bible study on that passage of Scripture, we're fulfilling Jesus' prophetic words about her. So um, that's the place to be. Um, one other thing, and I'm, I'm sure, Cindy, you've already got this connection, but you see, what happens when you spend time at the feet of Jesus is you're going to have spiritual insight into things that you never dreamed possible before. You know, Peter. Peter was... Had, I mean, he spent more time with Jesus than Mary did. And yet he denied Jesus three times even when Jesus warned him about it. Not Mary. Mary listened, she heard, and she acted by faith. This was one of the great acts of faith in all of our New Testaments. Thanks, Cindy. Appreciate it very, very much. Okay, here is the question that I was going to get to that I couldn't. It's from Berta, and I was smiling because I had an aunt named Berta who, uh, growing up, who was um, um, very Christ-like. She was the Greatest forgiver ever. And boy, did I ever give her some reasons to need to forgive me. But this Berta says, How can parents prepare for the long-term effects our kids are experiencing from the extended time of isolation from the pandemic? Um, Berta, I don't know. I can tell you that the way for parents to prepare to minister to their children is to be with Jesus. Be in the Word. Um, forget psychological approach, just be in the Word. You get close to Jesus and let the Holy Spirit take over as you fulfill your function, your godly biblical function as a parent. So that's the most important thing. The second most important thing you can do is be in the Word with your children. You know, there's a lot of kids who've been isolated. They've been alone. They, they, they're certainly not doing Bible studies. They're, they're involved in social media, and they're, they're, their minds are being completely brainwashed by this world that we live in. And it's your responsibility as a parent to bring them Jesus. As you do that, the Holy Spirit will take over. But, um, you know, we don't do well when we're alone. It doesn't matter whether you're a kid or an adult. None of us do well. When we're in isolation and our flesh is nothing good and when we're focused on how we feel or what's going on in the world, uh, when we are giving in to fear, well, we're not going to be equipped. We've got to be in the Word. Berta, get your kids to church. Um, don't let fear of COVID-19 um, cause you to let them stay home. Um, get them into church, get them involved, and return to normalcy as quickly as you possibly can. And sit down and talk with your kids, especially as you're reading them the Bible or doing family devotions with them, you and your husband, if there is a husband um, in the picture. Um, talk. Let the Holy Spirit have his way. And focus on the goodness of God. Focus on the things that he's done. You know, we, as Christians, we all know how good God is. We all know how faithful he's been. And yet we go through a, a, a difficult time like the pandemic. And I almost said a short period of time. That wasn't a short period of time. But we focus so much on all the 
ugly things around us. That we stop spending time remembering the goodness of God. So remember how faithful he's been. Share that faithfulness. Pray with your kids. But make sure they're grounded in Jesus Christ and make sure that your walk, you and your husband's, make sure that your walk is something that they can emulate. Yesterday in the message, not yesterday, but Sunday in the message, um, you know, uh, chapter 11, verse 1, which is like the worst chapter division in all of our New Testaments, uh, Paul was able to say, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Simply put, hey, watch me do what I do because I'm following Jesus. And we need to be able to see that. Your, your kids need to be able to see that. You need to be able to say that. I know that we think that's arrogant. Oh, I don't want people to watch me. But but every one of us, I told our church on Sunday, that every single Christian ought to be able to say that to every single person in their life. Instead of thinking, well, I don't want people watching me because I'm not perfect. We all know you're not perfect. But see, that's the best thing about it. Your kids need to learn that imperfect people can still follow Jesus. And if they see you doing it, if they see you in a time of difficulty, not falling apart, going to the Lord in prayer, if they see you with an open Bible, well, then they're going to know that your Jesus is real and eventually they're going to want your Jesus. So I, I think that's the best thing, but, but don't get caught up in all of the psychoanalysis of COVID, the law. We, we don't know what that's going to be. What we know is that the Holy Spirit lives in us, and through His Holy Word, God will heal our hearts and our minds. Even if there are difficult or long-term side effects in your battle against COVID. Thank you, Berta. Appreciate it. John says... Pastor Ron, if you were starting a new church, which book of the Bible would you teach first? John, that's pretty easy for me. I, I just said that on uh, yesterday, May 31st, was our 26th birthday uh, as church. And uh, it was 26 years ago yesterday that I opened the, the Bible and said to the six, to 13 people, rather, that were in the audience, I said, please open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1. And, that, you know, it's worked out pretty well for us, so I don't think I would do anything different. Mark is Peter's account of the gospel, the ministry of Jesus during his his um, three and a half or so years um, of ministry. Um, it's short. It's concise. It tells us a lot about Peter's uh, personality. Uh, he's short, direct, to the point. I think that's good. Um, and John, it, like I said, it's just worked out really well for us. I've taught Mark two times since then, but that was the first book I taught. I felt like the Lord was leading us to teach that one, and I don't know why it would be any different. Now, I love a bunch of books, and I, I often on this program recommend Ephesians because of the, the divine design of that book. Um, but um, I, I think um, being with Jesus... Um, in the Gospel of Mark would be a really great place to start again. Thank you for the question. Um, this is from TRC. I don't know who TRC is. But he or she said, uh, you said in an earlier program that penal substitutionary atonement, he actually used PSA, but penal substitutionary atonement was an essential doctrine. I disagree. How do you justify that as an essential? Um, TRC, th there's... Um, this is a hard question to to answer completely. Um, you know, it's not the virgin birth. It's not the sinless, perfect life of Christ. It's not the fact that he came, uh, was born as a baby, and he's, he lived, he died, he rose again. Those are essentials. The, 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 the Trinity is an essential. Uh, the character of God, those are essentials. But, but I don't see how penal substitutionary atonement is not essential. Uh, that just simply says that, that Jesus took the punishment we deserved. He took the wrath of God in our place so that we could be cleansed of our sin. Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. 
uh, I think if we have a Christ that didn't suffer in our place, a Christ that didn't atone for our sins by taking our place, then I don't think we have the Jesus of the Bible. So I don't know really, TRC, what your objection is with that, but but um, I, I think if you deny uh, this Sunday coming up at Calvary Chapel's Communion Sunday, how can I deny that Jesus paid the price, took the wrath of God in our place? How can I deny that and partake of communion? And if I can't partake of communion, how can I call myself a Christian? So I don't know what your intellectual objection to this is, but here's what I know for sure, that if Jesus didn't take my sins, my punishment, um, then I'm still guilty. And I consider that really essential. So if you want to be a little more detailed in why you disagree, DRC, I'd be happy to address that. Dale says, what is your opinion on the impeccability of Christ? Dale, you've been reading. God bless you. Uh, The impeccability or the peccability of Christ, depending on whether you're putting it in the positive or negative, is, is a discussion about whether or not Jesus could have sinned. If you hold to the impeccability of Jesus Christ, then he could not have sinned. Uh, Though he was tempted in all ways as we are, he could not have sinned. Um, If if you hold to the peccability of Christ, well, then he could have sinned, but he somehow toughed it out and he didn't sin. Uh, I think the Bible is clear. Jesus had no sin nature. Because he had no sin nature, that when he was tempted by sin, he was never tempted to sin. I think that's an important distinction, Dale. Um, Jesus was tempted in all ways as I am. But you see, to Jesus, sin was offensive. Just the idea of rebelling against his Father in heaven. He realized that he and the Father are one. He said it over and over, you can't rebel against yourself. The, the idea of doing that was just disgusting. It was It was repugnant to him. And so when he was tempted to sin, it was just like dirt in his mouth. And so he didn't entertain the possibility of sinning. So I believe very strongly, Dale, in this doctrine, if Jesus could have sinned, then we're all lost. Because that would have meant he had a sin nature. And one of the reasons I so look forward to being with Jesus in heaven is that my sin nature is going to be completely wiped away. Think about that. Completely wiped away. I'll never again be tempted if I get an ugly thought and Satan's always bringing And I won't have an ugly thought in heaven, but, but imagine it here on earth. If I get an ugly thought, I just... <laughs> that's disgusting. See, we would never fall into sin if that were the case. Unfortunately, we do struggle and we do wrestle with this sin nature. But Jesus didn't have it. So it is impossible, Dale, that Jesus could have sinned when he was tempted in all ways, as we are. I hope that makes sense to you. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR for your live calls and questions. Ken asks, um, Pastor Ron, what is the best way to determine if a church is healthy? Um, it should be simple, uh, Ken. One, is it a church that, that is in order? We're, we're on Sundays going through uh, 1 Corinthians. I'm going to finish chapter 11 this week on Communion Sunday, which is really good timing. Uh, and then the next week, uh, we're going into the, the, the purpose and the effective and obedient use of the gifts of the Spirit in chapters 12, 13, and 14. Uh, the first way, just outwardly, you can look and discern, is this a church that is, is a church that is orderly? If you've got people running around and jumping around and everybody speaking in tongues at one time, that is an unhealthy church, an unhealthy church. Most importantly, however, is what is their position on the Bible itself? Not only their position on the Bible, but how do they approach the Bible? Do they approach it as the Word of God? Do they teach it or do they preach it? Does the pastor tell uh, stories and, and, and refuse to deal with difficult issues? Sunday's message here at Calvary Chapel. Believe me, I didn't want to give it. Nobody wanted to hear it. Nobody wanted to hear it. Believe me. But 
We go through the Bible verse by verse. That's a healthy church. So if they're declaring the word, again, I'm not talking about preaching it or talking about it or just throwing in Bible verses. I'm talking about teaching the the word, line upon line, precept upon precept. Doing it in order in a systematic way. That's one way, an important way to determine if a church is healthy. I think there's another way. What's their emphasis on money? If they are emphasizing money all of the time, um, and and boy, we know churches that do that. It's always, we're about to go broke. That's the message you're sending. God, God wants you to dig deep, those kind of things. If the emphasis or the overemphasis on money um, is uncomfortable, that's discernment. That's an unhealthy church. And finally, if the fellowship is sweet. You know the best thing about Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, Ken? It's the people who are here every Sunday. I get up Sunday morning. I, I wake up early on Sunday mornings. I'm up at 4 o'clock and just making sure my heart's right with God and looking at my study a couple of times. And um, just, I just really want to hear from the Lord that day. Um, when I get past that point, all I can think is, Lord, today I get to go be around the people that you love. And if you see a, a vibrant, loving church, that's healthy. And I think the Lord will make that really, really clear to you, Ken. Good for you for wanting to find one, but the Holy Spirit will lead you and guide you if you give him the opportunity to do that. Thank you very much. Three four zero. Oh, five minutes already. Boy, is this half of the program gone quickly. Natalie says, in John chapter 2, Jesus changes his mind about turning the water into wine. Why did he change his mind? Um, It wasn't really a change of mind. Now, one of the things we have to remember, um, Jesus, we're told in the Gospels, never said anything or did anything that he didn't hear or see his father do or say. So Jesus was waiting for the Father in heaven to say, go. That's all. It wasn't his time. Woman, he said to his mother, and that was not a disrespectful woman. It was a very respectful, loving woman. Woman, why ask me? My, my, my hour has not yet arrived. Well, evidently, just as he said that, the Father, through the Holy Spirit, said, now's the time. Remember, Jesus received the Holy Spirit when he was baptized in the Jordan by John. The Holy Spirit descended on him in the fullness or or in the uh, form of a dove um, and he was given the fullness of the Spirit without measure. So Jesus was just waiting for his father to say go. And I think probably the father with a smile on his face said something like, Jesus, do what your mom says. (laughs) Because he, 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 as soon as he said, woman, why are you troubling me with this? Was basically saying my hour has not yet come. Um, evidently it was uh, now it's come do what she says and that's what he did so Natalie that's why he changed his mind it wasn't so much change of mind it was simply he was waiting for orders from headquarters and we he got him of course he was instantly faithful great lesson for all of us as well there Natalie um, when the Lord tells you to do something do it he doesn't mean tomorrow or next year or next month he means now do it be obedient. Good question. Thank you very, very much. Reuben says, when should a Christian not take communion? Reuben, let me invite you to tune in to calvarysa.com uh, on Sunday uh, in any one of our three services, 8.30, 10.15, or 11.59, because um, that's going to be uh, addressed exactly in the message in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. So I'll get in more detail. But for now, let me say, a Christian should not take communion when he or she is in willful sin. When we have unconfessed, unrepentant sin, uh, Paul says that to, to the Corinthians that some in Corinth have become sick and some have even died as a result of it. In other words, God judges his people. Judgment begins at the house of God. And this isn't so simple as saying, well, they probably weren't really saved. No, they were. But you see, when our heart's not right with God, when we're rebelling against God, to come to the table to say thank you for what you've done for us, to remember in detail the, 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 the 
sacrifice that was made for us? How can we say thank you by taking communion and then say no thanks by continuing to live in unrepentant sin? So that's when a Christian should not take communion, period. Now, that doesn't mean, okay, well, I'm not going to take communion until until I'm better. No, just repent. And if your heart is convicted as as the elements are being passed out, Reuben, the, the only thing you do next is you simply say, God, forgive me. I hate the way I am. I hate my sin. I don't want to sin anymore. Please forgive me and help me, Lord. Instantly, in that, that, that instant, you're completely forgiven and your sin completely forgiven and forgotten. Now, it's not a formula where you can say, okay, I'm sorry, Lord, and then you can go right back and sin. That's not being sincere. But if you really hate your sin and say, God, I'm sorry, please help, you're as clean as you'll ever be, and you should take communion. So the Christian who is unwilling to let God deal with his heart or her heart, that's the person who should not take communion. That's to make a mockery of the gift that Jesus gave us in the sacrifice of his life. Thank you very, very much for your calls today and your questions. You've been listening to The Word to Stand On for Life. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Hey, tomorrow night I get to teach Genesis 47. It's so encouraging. You might want to tune in and listen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Lord willing, I'll be back tomorrow at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Calvary.